in our worship. While we're on, uh, still in the vicinity of this July 4th week, I want to turn you to a text that I think will be helpful to us uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, some, a text that should be familiar to many of you. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Uh, we hear a lot about America these days and its future and who can best lead us forward. Sometimes it's helpful to take a look backward. And I want to ask, I want to begin with the question of whether we were founded as a Christian nation. But let's read 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. God is speaking to Solomon the king and says concerning the nation of Israel, and this is very relevant to Solomon as the years go by, and says, now Solomon, you're living in a blessed day. There may come a day when it's, you're not so blessed and the nation is not doing so well. What's the solution during that time? And I think this is applicable to our nation. And let me just begin by pointing out that I do believe we were founded as a Christian nation. In Psalm 2, verse 10 through 12, it says to kings, Be wise, and rulers of the earth serve the Lord. Rejoice with trembling. And it says, kiss the Son. Psalm 2 verse 12. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish. Show affection for the Son of God. That's addressed to kings and rulers in the earth. So George Washington... Our first president, when he was sworn in as president, took his oath of office with his hand on the Bible. And when he had finished taking the oath of office, he leaned over and he kissed the Bible. This was his expression and his interpretation of kissing the sun and showing affection for the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Washington later wrote in his prayer journal, I beseech you, O God, to pardon my sins and remove them as far as the east is from the west and accept me on the merits 
of your son, Jesus Christ. You see, I hold that we not only were founded as a nation that believed in God, the creator, but Jesus Christ, the son of God, the redeemer. I think we're both belief in God and faith in Christ. I think those are the foundations of our, of our history. Samuel Adams, called the father of the American Revolution, organized the Boston Tea Party as he, to react against the high taxes of England. He also was one of the original signers of the Declaration of Independence. And he was a steadfast Christian. And in 1772, he wrote these words. The rights of the colonists may be best understood by reading and studying the things that the head of the church has given us. <clears throat> Those things are clearly written in the New Testament. Think about that. The rights of the colonists as Christians are best read in the New Testament. These kinds of quotes can be garnished from all over the landscape of the political leaders of the past. Benjamin Franklin, who is often looked at not as a Christian, but Benjamin Franklin was a faithful tither to the local Presbyterian church in his community and a friend of its pastor. These kinds of quotes can also be found in Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and in multiple, multiplied throughout the history of our nation. In 1890, a lawsuit came before the Supreme Court of the United States. It was the United States versus the Mormon Church. The Mormon Church had sued for the right to have more than one wife. And so they had brought this lawsuit and it made its way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court made a ruling in which it stated, it is contrary to the spirit of Christianity and the culture which Christianity has produced in the Western world. They argued, the Supreme Court argued on the basis of it's not a Christian thing to have a half a dozen wives. They could have added it's stupid too. But you can imagine if the Supreme Court today, that was in 1890, if they said today uh, we're going we're gonna to base our decision on the fact that that's unchristian. In 1885, in a case, Ramsey versus Murphy, they defined a marriage as, I quote, a sacred union between one man and one woman, being a sure foundation of all that is noble and stable 
in a civilization. We've come a long way, baby. (laughs) We could go back beyond the Supreme Court decisions, beyond the quotes of our forefathers, and go even to the time when the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower in 1620. That, That little ship that brought the first pilgrims over to Virginia... They had what they called the Mayflower Compact. Now, most students in school would study things like this, or at least they used to. And here's what they stated in the Mayflower Compact concerning their voyage. We have undertaken this voyage for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, unquote. In other words, the first pilgrims and the first colonists were missionaries. You also see our heritage in the monuments in Washington, D.C. I know that some of you have seen these. But if you went into the U.S. Capitol building, there are these large paintings in the rotunda depicting America's Christian heritage. One of those paintings is the baptism of Pocahontas. And by Pocahontas, I do not mean Elizabeth Warren. One painting depicts pilgrim leader William Brewster with an open Bible in which is inscribed the words, the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the kind of background that you have. The chapel of the House of Representatives contains an open Bible in front of a stained glass window which has George Washington kneeling in prayer with the verse of scripture from Psalm 16.1 Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. And we could go on and mention the Lincoln Memorial, the verses on the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Memorial, Union Station, which was built around 1900 to take all the people traveling by train, all the soldiers that would pass through Washington, D.C., went through uh, Union Station, hundreds of thousands of them. And on the south entrance of Union Station are these words from Psalm 8-6, You have put all things under His feet. What wonderful truths for a soldier to read that on his way to fight the Nazis in Germany in World War II. He's put all things under his feet. A verse which turned out to be not only a statement of fact, but a prophecy for their future. And in the Supreme Court building, you find images of Moses, the lawgiver, holding up a lantern and a light. So when we look at the quotes of the fathers, 
We look at the decisions of the courts. We look at the monuments in our capital. All of these things point to the fact that this nation was founded not only on a belief in God, the Creator, but a faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now today, the Supreme Court has redefined marriage. It permits abortion at almost any stage of pregnancy. It forbids the passing out and the distribution of Bibles in the schools. You can teach evolution. You can distribute condoms. The Bible is forbidden. It is not uncommon for people in news shows and talk shows to ridicule a political leader who has faith in God and faith in Jesus Christ. It used to be in the charters of the original states that you were not permitted to hold political office if you did not believe in God. Because they said, how can you swear on something? How can you swear? How can you take an oath? You have no moral compass. Why should we believe anything you say? Uh, if you have your Bible, let me turn you to another passage in Psalms, Psalm 80. Notice this. This pre uh, presents the nation of Israel as a vine which God has planted in the land of Israel. And he says, verse Psalm 80 and verse 11, it sent out its branches to the sea, that's the Mediterranean, and it shoots all the way to the river, Euphrates River. But then he asks, why have you broken down its walls? Verse 12. So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. In other words, God has removed this protection and all who pass along pluck its fruit. There, there's an external enemy. They're, they're not inside, they're outside. But God's removed a protection and a hedge so that people take advantage of it. In one year, China has stolen $600 billion worth of intellectual property from the United States. 600 billion, that's a B. They just take it, they tap the computers, they hack the emails, they, they get it. And then they build into their defense program that which was designed to protect us, they use it against us. See, God has removed walls and all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. That's the external enemy. But look at verse 13. The boar, a wild pig from the forest, ravages it. Now there's a pig that's inside the walls. He's talking about this vine, this vine that God has planted. And he's He's lifting his voice to God and saying, God, on the outside, 
they're stealing fruit and on the inside the pigs are boring down, rooting. I was raised on a farm, so I kind of know what a pig does. We raised pigs. And they use their snout to go underneath the soil to get to the roots. They want to go to the roots. So this is the internal danger. See, there are people and movements and organizations that want to revise our history. They want to define the United States of America as something different than what the forefathers said we are to be. And the foundations on which we were built, they want to take those out. They want to go to the roots of this nation and turn it from a Christian nation to a secular humanist nation. He says in Psalm 80, here's, the, here's, what, here's his response in verse 17. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand. Verse 17. The man of your right hand. Isn't that interesting? The son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Wonder who that could be. <laughs> In referring to Jesus, the psalmist prays, O God, exalt the Son of Man in our midst. That's the answer to the nation whose external enemies are stealing our property, internal enemies are destroying our roots. The answer is, O God, exalt the Son of Man at your right hand. And then he says, let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself, and we will not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. And so, we bring this message to you today on the nation, its heritage, seen in the forefathers, the legal documents, the monuments in Washington. And I am not hesitant to say to you that the United States of America, with all of its flaws and its blunders in history, was a Christian nation in its beginnings and in its vision. It was a Christian, not just a theistic, but a Christian nation and is easily proven. But it's not always so. Today we seem to have departed. Our leaders seem to have departed from this. In the Old Testament, and what, this is one of the things that you see here in 2 Chronicles 7.14, is that this is a time of uh, kind of celebration and dedication. He, Solomon has just built the temple. So they're having this big prayer meeting and God speaks to them and says now if you ever get away from this you can come back to me and pray to me turn from your wicked ways I will heal the land if it ever gets away from you 
Solomon seemed to celebrate new beginnings. In fact, when he was first made king in 2 Chronicles 1, he had a big prayer meeting and asked God's blessing. Some of you may have seen the Democratic debate a week or so ago. And one of the questions I remember them asking was, what would you do if you defeated Donald Trump as president? What would you do on your first day in office? The answers were anywhere from uh, raising taxes to addressing climate change, uh, immigration, uh, Mary Williamson said she would call the Prime Minister of New Zealand, which I don't know what that means. I'm sure the Prime Minister of New Zealand has some good advice for us all. Joe Biden said that he would work to defeat Trump, which I didn't get that at all. What is the first thing you would do? Did you know that the first act of Congress was to call for a national day of prayer? You know what I think would be the first thing the new president ought to do? Call for a national day of prayer. Call for a return to biblical and Christian principles and have an evangelist come and preach a sermon on repentance. <laughs> I don't announce that ahead of time, but, but the first act of the Continental Congress in, on May 17, 1776, was, and I, I want to read this, here's what they said, we do earnestly recommend Friday the 17th of May, be observed by all the colonies as a national day of prayer and fasting. May we with united hearts confess our sins and may sincere repentance amend our lives. May we appease God's righteous displeasure and obtain pardon and forgiveness through the mediation of Jesus Christ. That was the first official act of Congress in 1776. And I would just add, any time there is a milestone, it calls for not just celebration, but a recognition that this is of God. It is from God. It needs God for its future. And I'll give you an example. Even on a personal level, when I had decided that Jan was to be my wife, how do you ask the question? Not lightly. I took her to her home church and I said, Jan, let's kneel here and pray together. I had already talked to her father and gotten permission. 
I said, let's kneel here and pray together. So she said, okay. And we prayed for guidance. And I turned to her and I said, I know you have plans to stay in Louisville and teach. But I'm asking you to go with me to Texas. Forsake all (laughs) and go with me. And we made that decision on our knees at the altar of God in prayer. Now, folks, when you come to a big decision, whether it's family or church or the nation, it is appropriate, like Solomon, to call for prayer. Let's let's begin this thing by calling on God. Now, that's the way you begin a new chapter in your life, I believe. This is what the First Continental Congress did. This is what Solomon did. You find that this is what David did. The first thing he did when he was made the king is he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and had a big celebration in a worship service. Just two or three things here. One, I think that we should be thankful to God for our nation. What a privilege to be in this nation. No one else has our history and our foundations. If you think about it, you could have been born in Russia. You know, they don't let you travel like we do. Some of you travel this weekend. You've got to get permission. You could have been born in China. Did you know they have a two-child policy? You cannot have more than two children. If you're pregnant a third time, it is strictly enforced. They have local politicians who keep an eye on everybody. They know everybody on their street. If you are pregnant a third time, they will forcibly arrest you and forcibly abort that baby and sterilize you. You could have been born in China. My son said to me this morning after I had preached this sermon, he said, you know, if I was in China, I wouldn't be anywhere because I'm a third. You could have been born in Iran. You could have been born in North Korea. But we were born in America. A Christian nation and we are enjoying the fruits of our forefathers faith and it's like Daniel Webster in 1843 in Charlestown Massachusetts he was thanking God publicly for his blessings his speech took in many things including the Bible and and uh, he said which taught dignity and equality and redemption and he said and at the end he said I thank God that I'm an American. Can you do that? Can you say, I thank God I'm an American? Because it's God who decided where you would live and grow up. So I think we should be thankful for our nation. 
I think, secondly, we should pray and seek God's blessing on our nation. We are blessed. We have luxuries in this country that kings and queens did not have 200 years ago. We have heating and air conditioning. We have milk. We have skim milk. We have half and half milk. We have powdered milk. And all the kinds of bread. Sometime so a couple of years ago, I told Jan, I said, I, I, I want, I'm going on a whole wheat uh, bread kick. So get me some whole wheat bread. And I found out there's whole wheat bread, but then there's 100% whole wheat bread. <laughs> and there's nine grain, multi-grain bread. Then, of course, there's garlic bread. And there's white bread and all kinds of bread. It leaves your head swimming and when you thought that variety is a spice of life I just throw I'm just going to throw this in here because I'm on the point but do you know how many ice varieties of ice cream there is in America <laughs> it's enough to make you go insane one over 1,000 varieties of ice cream in America so when you, when, when you tell your wife and she goes to the store, pick up some ice cream. What? <laughs> what kind? Uh, and by the way, that includes bacon ice cream. My mouth is watering even as I speak. But this is the kind of prosperity that we have in America. We should be thankful and we should pray because we are living in these days of blessing that has cascaded down from our forefathers. And I would just say one other thing. That, and I was thinking about this this morning. And you know what God is saying in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen to refer there again. He's saying, look, if you get away from it, if you lose those blessings, if you, your sin, let your sin drive you to prayer. And I think this is practical application for everybody today. Don't let your failure be final. Let your failure propel you to the grace of God, to the throne of God. That's what, that's what the enemy the enemy wants to defeat you, but God will use it to give you victory. I was listening to the story of Yamamoto. You remember him? The leader of the Japanese bombers in 1941 at Pearl Harbor. And I, I want, looking back, he made this statement of, of how he felt about bombing Pearl Harbor. I want to read this little quote. Yamamoto said, I had hoped to strike a fatal blow, but instead I feared we had awakened a sleeping giant and given to him a terrible resolve. Boy, did that prove true. Now that's how 
That's what a defeat can do. And some of you, the enemy has hoped to strike a fatal blow. But he may have just awakened a spiritual giant with a terrible resolve, an awesome resolve to follow God. That's how to handle defeat. And may that be true of our nation and of our church and of our lives today. Well, on this July 4th week celebration, I say God bless America. Amen? Make America great again. Amen? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. That just bubbled out. Uh, you know, hey, you got to love me now. You got to forgive me and love me. It's, the Bible teaches it. Jesus wants you to forgive your pastor, love him. All right, let's receive our offering and worship our God today. Ushers, you come. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for letting us be born in and live in the United States of America. We know that it's not the kingdom, but it's been a kind of protector of the kingdom. I thank you for that. Thank you for our freedom in faith and worship. Freedom to preach the gospel. I thank you for each one here. And if there won't be one here, Satan has tried to strike a fatal blow. But may it simply awaken them to prayer and faith. In Jesus' name is my prayer. Amen.